0: welcome to the national crawford roundtable podcast a view of culture current events and politics through a biblical lens with your hosts neil boron bob duco roger marsh and john rush now let's join the conversation
1: and we are back with you again for another week of the national crawford roundtable podcast Uh, so happy to be with you folks this week we appreciate you joining us today. Uh, John Rush uh, out of Denver. Roger Marsh out of Southern California. Neil Boron out of Buffalo, New York. Myself, Bob Duco out of Detroit. Gentlemen, how are you today? I hope everybody had a great Labor Day, by the way. Wonderful. Thank you, Bob. That's always good. Morning, Bob. Hey, always always good talking to you guys. Always good talking to you. And, you know, a lot of people are paying attention to what's happening with Hurricane Dorian. Uh, That obviously has been in the news going into the Labor Day weekend, and it's something everybody's been watching very closely Uh, And so, because of this, we thought we would talk about not only Hurricane Dorian, but in general, a Christian response to global warming, climate change, the environment, things along those lines. Because anytime we have hurricanes, we know that people are out there saying, look, this is climate change, it's extreme weather, it's it's global warming, we need to take this seriously. And what is the Christian response to this? So, we're going to dive into all of that, but... First, let's just get out on the table some of your thoughts about Hurricane Dorian itself. Uh, Actually, the people in the Bahamas, I mean, we do need to be praying for them, no doubt. They have been devastated. This was a Category 5 when it it hit the Bahamas. Uh, They are right now just devastated. So many of the homes there in the Grand Bahamas and the surrounding islands have been decimated. The flooding, the airport there, six feet underwater. And on top of that, Dorian, it appeared, just kind of stopped right over the Bahamas. Now, thankfully for the United States, it appears that it's kind of doing a northern hook and going to go up the coastline. But off of the United States enough that we won't really probably experience that much devastation in the United States. So pray for the people of the Bahamas, but it looks like the United States is at least on the verge of dodging a bullet. This thing's down to category two now. And uh, I'm just kind of curious to get you guys' take on this whole thing. Uh, John Rush, you know, we'll start with you, John. Uh, I think a lot of people were surprised that this didn't end up really crashing straight into the United States.
2: Yeah, I think the initial thoughts were that's exactly what it was gonna do. In fact, the initial reports were, you know, it was gonna go around, hit Florida, and then maybe head up the coast. And to your point, Bob, that did not happen. And I think for me personally, what this shows, and and you know, not to be super spiritual about every single thing that goes on, but the reality is we don't control nature. There's only one uh entity that's God himself that controls and, and I I hate to even call it nature. It's the good Lord Himself, He's right. the one that sets the wheels in motion and he's the one that controls all this. Now, we could get into a big, long discussion about why does devastation happen in certain areas and not others, and honestly, that's far above my pay grade to even answer, but the reality is we don't control it. We never know where they're going, no matter what weather forecaster or how many computers they put in play. The reality is God controls it all.
1: Right, and Neil, let me ask you about that. that uh, that's an important point that John brings up here. I mean, God is sovereign. God is in control. We know, as Dorian was heading west... We know that there are all kinds of people, certainly including in the United States, that was praying that we would be spared from this. For the most part, it looks like the United States is being spared of this. We didn't have a Category 4 or 5 pounds straight into Florida. But that doesn't mean that the people in the Bahamas haven't been devastated through this. And sometimes people wonder, well, where's God during times like this? How do we answer some of those tough questions about what are described as, quote, natural disasters?
0: Well, this, in my opinion, the God who causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust is where he always is. He's available to his creation. He's available to people who are willing to have a relationship with him. So, uh, you know, obviously, some people try to say that when a natural disaster occurs, it's a result of sin or some particular sin or the, the sin of an entire nation. And that's the tack a lot of people want to take. I tend to look at it as though this is the consequence of living in a fallen world. This is... Right. What happens? That uh, good stuff happens on planet Earth, and bad stuff happens, but that the Lord is here in the midst of all of it. Now, th- then, somebody might say, "Well, then, does prayer matter?" Like, yeah, I, I believe prayer does matter, and certainly so that God, uh, people would experience God and His protection and His safety in the midst of crisis like that, in the midst of a natural disaster. But death happens, brokenness happens, and I think God is asking that we would seek His face in the midst of right, all of it, really. But I, you know, I just I don't attribute a natural disaster to some particular sin. I've never chosen to see it that way.
1: Well, you know, it's really not biblical either. I mean, when Jesus was asked about the blind man, you know, who sinned, you know, him or his parents. Right. And it's like, no, right. that's not the way that it works. And, you know, Roger, I want to ask you, Roger Marsh, of course, you host The Bottom Line out of Southern California. You guys are out there on the West Coast. And while you may not see the kind of hurricanes that develop in the in the Atlantic, you still, out in California, experience all kinds of... Uh, other types of disasters. Certainly, there's been the wildfires, the earthquakes. You guys are always just wondering, hey, you know, when is potentially the next big earthquake going to come? And so, uh, this is really one of those things that, as believers, we do need to recognize. As Neil said, we live in a fallen world. Disasters do happen. It rains on the just and the unjust. But we we always make sure that we put our hope and our faith and our trust in God. We recognize that. Everything that goes wrong in this earth is temporary. The new heavens and the new earth, there'll be no disasters of this kind. And we let God be our hands and feet to care for and show the love of Christ to those who are, uh, you know, the the victims, if you will, of any kind of natural disaster.
3: Yeah, it really is uh, here in California, especially one of the things that we have to deal with is earthquakes. And every time right. I read about the birth pangs and the new creation and things like that, that I, I think of those really literally as labor pains. And that's something that, uh, you know, in the case of, of uh, Dorian here, we've been watching this thing develop. We've got all the new technology. We can see what's happening. And trust me, if there's something happening, say Gulf of Mexico, even in the far southeast, We wind up feeling atmospheric changes here in California. So you get a lot of the humidity and that type of thing happening. But I think it it, it kind of also drives us toward not only our knees and say, okay, God, what's going on? Because we know you're sovereign and we have that comfort. But at the same time, when you watch these things and anticipate them, I kind of look at the media somewhat askance and say, well, gosh, how much information do we need? Uh, How much coverage is there? That's really gonna be a benefit. I think that's a fine the media has to watch walk in terms of, you know, we know where it is, we know where it's coming. But then you start getting into the predictions, you know, well, it's going to hit, you know, Buffalo and just, you know, destroy with a category five or whatever it is. And that speculation, I think, can drive a lot of fear. And there's a spiritual component there, too, in terms of how much information do we need. And, you know, here when an earthquake happens, it just happens. You know, right. I mean, we really don't get a lot of rain. The wildfires just kind of happen. It must be tougher for a lot of people. I'm speaking to where you guys are, especially Bob and, and Neil, you know, with the with the weather challenges that come from the Atlantic as opposed to the Pacific. I mean, it, it, I can see God's
1: protection in this, but also I, I can see a little bit of the fury. Mm-hmm. sure well you know I can too and you know John uh, you are there in Denver and and one of the things you know we of course we don't see the hurricanes we don't see uh, the stuff that the people do earthquakes and things like that but one of the things that we do see though is that every time there is any kind of disaster like this that takes place one of the most grossly underreported things in the press is the response from the body of Christ. I mean, for all the trashing that people like Franklin Graham gets and whatever, how much emphasis is really placed on what Samaritan's Purse does? I guarantee you, Samaritan's Purse is going to be right there in the Bahamas, as well as the southeastern seaboard uh, with blankets and food and medical care and clean water and workers rolling up their sleeves are reconstructing houses. And it's not just going to be Samaritan's Purse, but it's going to be Christian organization after organization after organization organization. Churches all across the country are going to be sending mission teams down there to help rebuild and such. And let's face it, it's not going to get the coverage. It's not going to get the attention. Not that we do it for the applause of men. Of course not. God sees us. But I think it's important to remember that this is one of the things that really does show who we are as the body of Christ. And John, to that point, it's important that we remember that this is not only our responsibility, but this is Christians putting our faith into action. The place is going to get flooded—no pun intended—with a lot of Christians, as always, helping to dig people out of the rubble.
2: Yeah, you know well said, Bob. And, and you're right; that doesn't get near enough credit, and it should. And and you know, uh, you said Samaritan's Purse and, and lots of other organizations. And the reality is, it's lots of other organizations right. from you know multiple denominations to individual churches that feel a, a call. Uh, you know, I, I remember when the Houston flooding happened, I and mean, even our church sent a team. to down. And we didn't do that because anybody at the denomination level said to. We just as a church decided that was something we felt called to do. We had people that had family there. And so, you know, people just reach out. They do what the, what the body of Christ does on a regular basis. And you're right. That doesn't get any press. In fact, it's quite the opposite. When these things happen, the very first thing that happens is, oh, it's climate change. It's global warming. We've got to stop. You know, you, right. you know. Don't make any more. You know. Don't make any more plastic bags because that's ruining the environment and that's causing the which, frankly, is ludicrous thing you could ever say in the first place. Anyways, instead of focusing on the things that we're doing to help these particular individuals, we then start. You know, the press, I should say, starts going after the blame game, and frankly, it just, in my opinion, is fruitless. It doesn't work.
1: You know, it, it would be nice if that stuff didn't go on, but John, you're absolutely right. The blame game does end up being played. And when we talked last week, for example, about gun violence, we knew how this works. Well, the first thing is, okay, well, how do we blame the gun lobby and how do we, well, in this case, it does end up being, how do we blame global warming, climate change, extreme weather? Uh, how do we politicize this and go after the quote-unquote global warming skeptics, and we're just destroying the earth and we're bringing on this devastation. I do have to wonder, and Roger, maybe this is going to be too cynical on my part, but it seems like, a little, I'm a little suspicious, that whenever we have a hurricane now, that it's almost like it gets hyper-coverage, hyper-focus. Not that hurricanes aren't a serious thing, and the Bahamas have been devastated. Nobody would, I, I would never minimize the devastation of these disasters, but we have always had in this fallen world, we have always had hurricanes, we have always had disasters. There's not really anything out of the ordinary here but the press desperately wants to convey this global warming message of extreme weather and climate change. Mm -hmm. And so it almost seems like everything is hyper-analyzed, hyper-focused, so that we can take something that's a a genuine natural disaster and make it look like an earth-shattering, universal, worst thing ever for the purpose of furthering that that perception and that message of see, it's extreme weather, those global warming denial people, and Trump pulling mm-hmm. us out of the Paris Accord—it's all their fault. We tell you on the right, it just—it seems like there's some of that there. Maybe I'm being a little too conspiratorial.
3: No, not at all. And especially coming from the People's Republic of California, yeah. where we have the—we uh, lead the league in environmental regulations, and uh, it's—it's it's so oppressive for so many business owners—not for all, but many. Mm-hmm who just are leaving the state because it's cost so much money to do business here. To your point, Bob, about the hyperactivity, uh, if you look at what the National Weather Service and the storm chasers are predicting for 2019 versus 2018 even, there were 23 different storm hurricane categories from last year. They're only predicting 13 this year. I mean, mm-hmm. Dorian is a mess for the people in Bahamas, but it isn't, necess- I mean, it's not the end all be all that they're trying to make it out to be. Remember uh, Hurricane Sandy was oh, in yeah. 2012? I mean, that had to get down. They had to invent a name for it, Superstorm Sandy, because it was supposed to be right. a Category Five that was going to send New Jersey into oblivion. And next thing you know, it's oh well, it was in a Category Five or a four or a three. And so they created the Superstorm. So I, I, I don't think that's overstating it at all. I mean, the the way we present that to people, there are a lot of people have a lot, a lot of emotional ties to it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's an overstatement no, by any stretch. Of the
1: very well. I tell you what I want to do. Uh, let's next. Let's kind of shift this into the the global warming debate, if you will, and whether Christians ought to be on this bandwagon and how do we even handle this issue. We're going to continue this discussion uh, here on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. First, though, I want to take a moment and stress how important it is that we have, as believers, that we have a biblical worldview in everything, whether it's talking about global warming or natural disasters or entertainment or politics. Everything we look at needs to be through the lens of Scripture, And that's one of the reasons why I so appreciate Steve Gregg and his ministry. Steve Gregg, of course, is the host of the Narrow Path radio programs, heard on Crawford Broadcasting Stations all across the country. And he's got over four decades of studying scripture and looking at everything in life through a biblical lens. And I just want to encourage everybody to not only listen to the Narrow Path radio program, in the market that you happen to be in, but also consider financially supporting this ministry because one of the things that Steve does is he doesn't sell anything. He doesn't promote anything on his show. Uh, he doesn't sell his materials. He's completely listener supportive. That means it falls on us to support this ministry. And they've got a lot of free links and resources and all of that uh, archives of past shows. So here's what you do go to thenarrowpath.com. All right, that's thenarrowpath.com. Dot com, and you can support his ministry right there at the website from the donations tab. So it's thenarrowpath.com. Great show. And as we talk about, guys, looking at everything through a biblical lens and a Christian lens, let's let's dive into some of the, the politics of the whole global warming debate. Those of us, and just for disclosure, I'm one of those global warming skeptics. I, I am not on this bandwagon. Uh, Do I believe that the earth is warming? Well, sometimes it does. But if you look at history, it's had decades of warming, then cooling, then warming, then cooling. Uh, I don't see in any way that mankind is causing this somehow. Are we contributing to it? Well, yeah. But if I dump my cola into a flooding river, technically I'm contributing to the flooding, but am I causing the flooding? That to me is a big difference. And quite frankly, I just think this whole glo- global warming thing has become a quasi-religion and it's a bunch of hot air. I know not everybody's going to agree with me on that, uh, but that's honestly my take. And I kind of want to toss this out to uh, to you guys and talk about it a little bit. Uh, Neil, first of all, some of your thoughts on the whole global warming debate, and as Christians, how do we even approach this?
0: Well, I, I think uh, that there's a sense of hype on both sides of this equation to be honest with you um, just like we were talking about the news media and it how it tends to hype certain events uh, on an issue like this I think that there's fear seen on both sides of this equation I think that there is um, uh, hype on both sides and misunderstanding for sure and I when it comes to Christians addressing the issue I think in many ways we talk at people not necessarily with them and I, I don't... I'm with you, Bob. I don't believe that that human beings are causing this. I think we help contribute to it. Um, so I'm with you on that 100%. But in the idea of, like, dismissing it as merely, you know, some kind of political opponent, you know, or that it's, a, it's an issue that's uh, handled by our political opponents, I, rather than just trying to dismiss it, I say engage it. Like, let's talk about it. Um, I think that our objection really has little to do with us being biblically evangelical, and as Dr. Catherine Hayhoe said, who's an evangelical climate scientist, said, it has a lot more to do with being politically evangelical. And I think that in in this case, in, in many times, not always, but I think that a lot of times our politics are informing our Christianity rather than our Christianity informing our politics, and that's just my take on it. I mean, we mm-hmm. can have a conversation about it, but I see missed opportunities here. I see missed opportunities to engage with a lost and dying world because uh, we're dismissed as looney tunes if we don't just buy into the you know global warming debate. but uh, that's my opinion. I've got a lot more to sure. say about it, but I don't want to hog the mic well,
1: no here. but let's let's uh, go kind of around the round table here. Uh, John, let me ask you about this i My thing is, I just want to look at this factually. I think Neil is right. we need to have we need to have a conversation about this, but the problem is. Uh, if you if you're not on the global warming bandwagon, then you're kind of dismissed out of hand in much of our culture and society, uh, and certainly among the mainstream media, the Democrats, uh, it seems quite a bit. You have to be on the global warming bandwagon. If you're not, there's not even a discussion worthy of having. The Los Angeles Times, a couple of years ago, decided we're not even going to print. Uh, comments from letters to the editor where people are questioning the whole global warming mantra. And, And my thing is, if you're trying to censor and silence opposing views, that's usually a good sign that you don't have strong arguments on your own side. I would argue if you examine the evidence itself, there is not a compelling case to argue that humans are causing some kind of catastrophic warming of the earth.
2: Uh, no fully agree Bob and we talk about this a lot on my show because it is one of the big topics of the day and I agree with you if the facts were so strong on their side they would they would be able to sit there and debate the problem is the facts aren't there it doesn't support you know global warming you know climate change I mean do we have and I like what Neil said earlier when it comes to the, the debate and how we need to handle this in the proper manner as Christians and, and a couple of things that always come to my mind is number one yes I believe there are microcosms of of climate change change if you would and i use my own town as an example i'm a native of colorado grew up in boulder colorado yeah it's 10 square miles surrounded by reality but i've watched this entire area change and by the way i am in my businesses as we do property maintenance snow removal that sort of stuff so i watch the weather very very closely patterns and even employ a weather service to handle things in our business so i have seen things in this denver area change. And and what I mean by that is we have a lot more trees today than we ever had when I was a kid. We have a lot more day that we did when I was a kid. Do we have a different type of climate today in Denver than we did as a kid? And the reality is we do. Although I say that to say this, we also had a big bomb cyclone this last winter that wiped out everything I just said, because the reality is, Mm. you know, we had 70 mile an hour winds with snow. It was blowing sideways and you wouldn't have known anything had, had changed from when I was a kid at that particular time. The other thing that I think as Christians we need to point out, and this is something that I continually say, and this is even for Christians that get on the climate change, you know, global warming bandwagon. I think, frankly, that it's very, very small of us to say that we, or it's very big of us to say that we as humans, all as we are, looking at the entire globe, to say that we can have an impact on the climate, like God does. In other words, what we're saying is we as peon humans can really go out and change climate. We're taking away from God's sovereignty, in my opinion, and that he's in control of everything that goes on around the world. And if we think for one second that we as humans are changing the global climate, we're putting ourselves above God.
1: No, I think you're right. And there is a certain arrogance that I think a lot of this movement says that we somehow have the the, the power uh, to do this, and uh, neil to uh, to john 's point here, Neil boron, uh, this is something where we need to recognize God is sovereign, God is control in control, and God is not going to allow mankind to take the reins away from him and his perfect timing in what happens in this earth. Uh, may we have a negative effect on the earth in some areas here and there? Yes, but there is absolutely nothing that 's out of god 's control.
0: on that point, I agree entirely. I mean, God is sovereign, he's the one who's calling the shots, there's no question about it, and I'll have a few more things to say about it, but it reminds me why we as believers need to stay connected to God's Word in the first place, because we can get hysterical thinking about uh, all of the different possibilities, and and sometimes forget that God is the one uh, in whom we can place our full confidence and our full trust, and it's one of the reasons why I want to just mention briefly the importance of supporting Pastor Alistair Begg and Truth For Life. Uh, At Crawford Broadcasting, we love good Bible teaching, and that's exactly what you get from Alistair Begg. So if you're the kind of person that likes studying God's Word to see what it has to say about important issues, including this one, make sure you check out Truth For Life and offer some support. Give a gift today. Just go to truthforlife.org. That's truthforlife.org, or you can call them at 888 588 Seven eight eight four, And one other thing is, be sure to let them know which Crawford Broadcasting Station you listen to, or that you're a listener to this National Crawford Roundtable podcast. That in mind, no, I don't think we're ever going to take the reins away from God and call the shots by our behavior. God is sovereign, and He's in control. But that same line of thinking has caused some people to say, well, listen, God's God's calling the shots anyway, and the world's going to end the way God sees that the world's going to end. So let's just hunker down in the bunker and wait for that to happen. Let's not care about, you know, the world that we live in because that's the other extreme. Now, I'm not saying that simple decisions we're making are changing weather patterns in the world. Maybe it's having some contributing factor. We talked about the idea of contribution rather than cause earlier. But I think one thing's for sure. I mean, if we take toxic chemicals and pour them in Lake Erie, uh, the water's not going to be drinkable. So we we are having an impact and pollution and everything else comes into play. So again, I come back to, as believers, we've got a lost and dying world watching our behavior, and and I guess, you know, as those who've been given a responsibility to steward the earth, uh, we need to take that seriously, because it's—God gave us that responsibility, and we believe in the Creator. We believe in the One who said, you know, take care of what I've created, including all human life. So I do think we have responsibility to be engaged in conversation about how to protect our planet, even if— We don't fall off the deep end and, and, um, you know, go to the extreme and embrace everything everyone else is saying. I think we need to be a player in the conversation.
1: Well, and which then begs the question, what does that look like? And part of one of the frustrations, honestly, guys, that I have had is that if you're not on the global warming bandwagon, and if you're one of the climate change skeptics, as we're referred to often, then somehow we're accused of well, you don't care about clean water and clean air. and Neil, I know that's not what you're saying. But this is something that many of us have heard many times. Oh, what? You don't think there should be any regulations? You don't think we we should just go ahead and pour toxins in the water and we should just breathe smog-filled air? No, none of us are saying that. But what we are saying is you don't have to assume that this whole global warming mantra – is true. And as I was mentioning earlier and talking with John, whichever side is trying to censor and silence opposing views and facts and evidence is usually the side that's on weaker ground. And Roger, I want to throw Mm -hmm. this over to you. Uh, We've heard a lot of different things. Like, for example, 97% of climate scientists claim that uh, global warming is real and a natural threat. Well, I've debunked that many times on my show. This happened to be Mm -hmm. one, count them, one college professor who actually uh, took – he cherry-picked 79 climate scientists out of – tens and tens of thousands. He cherry-picked 79, and 77 of those 79 answered yes to two questions that he asked. And then that ended up getting picked up by the media and reported as 97% of climate. No, 77 out of 79 people from tens, even hundreds of thousands of scientists is not a consensus. But the press won't report the other side of this story like. And let me just give you guys a couple of, of basic facts here. Uh, you have the Oregon Institute of Science and Medicine that now has over 31,000 scientists, including over 6,000 climate scientists and over 9,000 PhDs that have put their name on a statement declaring, no, we are not on the global warming bandwagon. You have the co-founder of Greenpeace who says this is a bunch of baloney. You have Reed Bryson who uh, holds only the 30th PhD in meteorology granted in the history of America. He's the founding chairman of what became the Department of Oceanic and Atmospheric Sciences. The British Institute of Geographers names him as the most frequent cited climatologist in the world. This guy says this whole global warming thing is a bunch of nonsense. And I even reported on my show a United States Senate report with hundreds of literally climatologists and scientists who declared the whole global warming thing is a scam. And by the way, these scientists came from I'm looking at the list Harvard University, NASA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, the National Center for Atmospheric Research, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, the United Nations IPCC itself, the U.S. Department of Energy, Princeton University, the EPA, the National Academy of Sciences, and the World Federation of Scientists. We're talking about thousands, tens of thousands of scientists out there that say this is a bunch of baloney. But Roger Marsh, Their voices aren't being heard. And I'm not saying it's not a legitimate debate to have. Let's have it. But let's be willing to listen to the other side. And that seems to me something that the global warming alarmists are not willing to do.
3: Absolutely true. And uh, having a couple of uh, family members closely uh, related to this whole issue, one on the research side and one on the environmental science side, it's painfully obvious to see how many people on the global warming side have taken that extreme position. And it's unfortunate because, uh, you know, here in California, the straw ban that's going all over the place here, because a nine-year-old wrote a, an article somewhere and sent it to some of the California State Assembly. I mean, it, it's insane to think that one small study, like Bob just cited, Or the one small, you know, act of, I saw a turtle with a straw in its mouth and now we can't get plastic straws in restaurants. I mean, you take it to its most logical extreme and say, well, of course, we're going to be banning everything. But... What does that actually do to move the needle in terms of taking care of the earth? And at the same time as Christians, as Neil Dooley noted, and John has too, we have a responsibility to care for creation. So, you know, it it kind of becomes a selective argument, especially as we think about the politicization of this. And we'll get into this in the second half of the podcast. Right. The politicization in terms of the money, the grants. What's behind it? Who's lobbying for these things? Are they really trying to push the needle to improve the quality of our environment? Or is it just a matter of keeping the funding going so they can keep their nice jobs? I mean, at the risk of sounding overly simplistic, there's a lot of that happening.
1: Yeah, you know, that's a great point. And the truth is, they do need grant money. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. This is a a big part of this. One of the things that the environmental scientists need to do is convince governments around the world to keep on flooding them more money. Well, are they going to do that by saying we're in dire straits, the earth and humanity is on the verge of destruction and you need us to be the saviors of the world. And if you don't give us more money, we can't solve the problem. So they have to create a really serious climate crisis, if you will. Look, these are the very same scientists back in the 1970s. I graduated high school in 1978. I remember all of the global cooling talk back then. I remember the coming Ice Age. I remember Time Magazine and Newsweek and the news reports after reports after reports of we got an Ice Age coming and man is causing this. Leonard Nimoy, who played Spock on Star Trek, he did that old show – in search of, I remember that show. Uh, one of their episodes from 1978 was the coming ice age and the catastrophe that we're going to be seeing in this Earth from a frozen planet by the year 2000, and it's all because of man-made activity. And we need to do something. We need more grants the scientists do to stop this from happening. So, uh, th- this this is, in fact, in my honest opinion, much driven by the money. Not all of it but much of it is. But we've got a lot more to talk about this in the second half. We're going to move on to some other areas of this, like how Christians should, in fact, view the issue of the environment. What does it mean to be a good steward of the earth? And what does Scripture say about this and not say about this? So we got a lot more to get to as we work through the second half of this discussion. And as we talk about this issue on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast uh, with myself, Bob Duco, John Rush, Roger Marsh, Neil Braun, guys, let me ask you about the the whole global warming debate. And I want to get your take on what I was just saying as well earlier. And John, I'll start with you. I don't know how many of us are old enough to remember. I'm 58 years old. I remember the whole global warming ice age scare of the 1970s. Those were the very same scientists. Who are now saying it's global warming, and then now they're shifting to climate change and extreme weather. But at bottom line, it's it's the same people making the same general arguments, but the temperature and the thermometers just going in a different direction.
2: Oh, you're exactly right. I'm 54, Bob, so I don't remember there. quite as vividly, probably as you do. But no, I, I remember all those same things that we were going to end up in a in a basically a mini ice age that was coming, and uh, you know the ozone had a big hole in it, which you know miraculously has since healed. I mean there was all in, in the in the car industry which I've been in for the majority of my life, you know, Freon had to change because of the ozone and in, in the hole that was up there and so on and so forth. And you're right, the same people that were back then Talking about all those same things, or the very same people today, and I agree with Roger. I mean, this is really just just follow the money. I mean, that's typically what happens when it comes to you know political things that go on and different types of even belief system, Which I believe, by the way, that the the whole environmental movement is in and of itself a belief system, and it's it's a worship the earth sort of a thing. Which uh, I was raised by by my father to always treat the earth. With utmost respect, God created it. We're supposed to be a steward of it, and we need to leave it in a better place than we found it, which when you go hunting, camping, anything along those lines, that's exactly the way I was taught. You know, if you find a a wrapper, even out in the woods, pack it up, take it back with you. So as Christians, I do believe we need to be, you know, very good environmental stewards to the point that, frankly, guys, this is something that's a big deal to me. When you drive by my house as a Christian— you should be able to look at my house and my property and know that I live there and that it's in better care and looks better than everything else on the block does because I'm being a good steward of what God gave me. We should do the same thing with the earth. But I say that to say this. I do not believe in climate change. I think it's a, a follow the money thing. It's not, I believe honestly, guys, when it's all said and done, it'll be the biggest hoax Voiced it upon mankind to suck money out of us.
1: All right, so Neil, let me ask you about this. You were talking about this earlier. We do have a responsibility to be good stewards of what God's given us. But how do we define that? I mean, what does it look like? I, if I'm not on the global warming bandwagon, then I'm accused of not being a good steward of the Earth. If I'm, if I don't support the. Paris Climate Accord, then I'm, I'm accused of uh, not caring about my neighbor and loving my neighbor and, and caring for the resources of this earth. I think that's absolutely baloney, quite frankly. I do care about my neighbor. I do care about uh, the resources of this planet. I do want clean water and clean air, but I don't buy the argument that CO2 emissions in this country by man's SUVs are somehow causing the earth to catastrophically heat up. We produce more CO2, quite frankly, from cow flatulence and volcanoes (laughs) than we do SUVs. And the temperature of the earth was actually warmer a thousand years ago than it is now. And that comes from the very same environmental scientists. And I don't think it's because of uh, all of those SUVs that the Native Americans were driving around in a thousand years ago. So (laughs) what does creation care look like and what is appropriate versus what is not necessary?
0: Well, I think John's going to be happy to know that this past weekend, I was hiking part of the Appalachian Trail, and uh, I had a walking stick in one hand and a bottle of water in the other, and when I finished that water bottle, I looked around and I thought, you know, I could throw this in those low ferns over there, and no one would ever know, but I would, and, uh, <laughs> and I mm-hmm. spent the entire rest of that walk, which took for s- several hours up pretty steep terrain, uh, and back down again to, uh, to carry that water bottle so I could throw it out properly, and that doesn't make me a you know environmental hero of any kind it's just the idea that I do think as christians we have to be mindful of the stuff and willing to demonstrate what it looks like to care for the environment that we even care at all because and i have to say this i don't bob you rattled off a bunch of uh, incredible facts earlier and and i was listening intently and i even the study you mentioned about ninety-seven percent of climate scientists all agree, and it's based on flawed information. And whole, that's fascinating to learn that kind of thing. I think that we need to be open to hear what we can about why global warming isn't real, but at the same time, be open to hear from glo- so-called global warming alarmists that you know why they care. To, in other words, hear their heart about it. Because I don't think more information in the end really matters. Mm-hmm. Because somebody who's a global warming alarmist who heard you say all that stuff. I don't think has been convinced uh, to to change their mind. Like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Thanks, Bob. Now I'm going to totally, you know. Right. uh, But you know what, Neil? I wanted to
1: listen, though. I wanted to be willing to listen because I'm willing to listen to the other side. Look, we're all talk show hosts. We're professionals. You know this. If anybody called into any one of our shows and said, John, Neil, Roger, Bob, I disagree with you about fill in the blank, whatever it is. And I have some specific logical arguments to tell you why and factual evidence to present that I think will show that your opinion is wrong. How many of us are really going to go, la, 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 I don't want to hear you, next caller? No, no every single one of us are going to go, absolutely. I want to hear it. Let's have dialogue. Let's discuss this. What If somebody says, I don't believe Jesus mm-hmm. rose from the dead. I don't believe the Bible is true. I don't believe God exists. Hey, let's talk about it. What are your best arguments and in a respectful way, let's be willing to have that dialogue. You present your best evidence. I'll present my best evidence. So Neil, I'm with you, man. I want to hear the other side. I, I'm just, I'm recognizing that the other side doesn't want to hear the evidence that we have to present.
0: Which is why I think actions speak louder than words. In some fashion, we have to show the other side, whoever they are, that, um, that we care about the earth in some fashion. Because when, when it's only reduced to arguments, we're going to hunker down, we're going to dig in, we're going to double down. And it's like the Republican and Democrat thing. When a Democrat says something, Republicans disagree. When a Republican says something, Democrats disagree. Everybody's talking past each other. Nobody's really having sincere conversation Uh, because they want to stick to their own platform, and I'm not saying we shouldn't represent truth as believers. I think truth's got to be the core of what we stand for. So ultimately, we're not going to worship the earth, and uh, we're going to do what God shows us to do about this thing. But In communication with people, like when this show is over and we go home tonight and we have communication with our neighbors, do they see that we're people that really love and care for the earth, whether or not we love the global warming debate? So I think that there's a bigger picture to the whole thing, not just the argument, but how we conduct ourselves as believers on this planet, what the Mm -hmm. overall message is of the gospel and how it matters in people's lives.
1: Well, let's talk about what that looks like then. Roger Roger Marsh, how then do we Care for the. I mean, if I'm walking there walking like Neil and, and I've got a, a water bottle with me and I'm walking the Appalachian Trail, when I'm done with the water bottle, am I going to throw it on the ground? No, I'm not going to throw it on the ground. But it's not because. I feel some sense of, you know, I'm going to get a, a teary-eyed lip quiver because somehow Mother Earth has been disrespected by me. Uh, let's face it, God destroyed this earth once by water. He's going to destroy the earth again. I'm going to guess we won't have archaeological ruins and landfills in the new earth that God creates, so it's going to be purged. So, But but I'm still not going to throw my water bottle on the ground. I'm going to wait and I'm going to throw it in a recycling bin. But my reason for that is not because I feel some kind of an emotional need to protect the purity of the dirt that I'm walking on, but it's because I don't wanna be disrespectful to my neighbor, I I don't want them to to have to walk along and pick up my trash that I shouldn't have to do. I want to, I don't want to trash up the area just like I wouldn't throw something in in my neighbor's yard. That's not right. That's rude. So, let's not be rude to each other. Let's not do anything that's going to cause our neighbor to drink dirty water or breathe dirty air. But at the same time, I I do not feel some kind of an emotional attachment to the purity of the rocks and Mother Earth, if you will, and I know that's not what Neil was saying, but there are a lot of people that have kind of turned the earth into a a quasi-religious kind of passion, Roger.
3: Yeah, absolutely, and you know, the, you mentioned the the emotional part of this conversation, and for a lot of people, that's what it is. It's a it's purely emotional. I think a lot of progressive ideology comes from the fact that they have a, a strong heart for this. I mean, a, a a a compassion and a care, and they think, well, of course, you know, Jesus would be careful, you know, caring and compassionate as well. So we need to be that way as Christians, and um, I, I think that one of the things that uh, that really in, intrigues me about this whole conversation is that you know trying to reach people who kind of gotten lost in this quasi religion of uh, environmental extremism and and I think about you know how in, in any walk of life how many of us as Christians uh, find ourselves trying to you know seek the lost and uh, Dr Michael Youssef does such a good job of that with his global ministry leading the way uh, their mission statement of course is equipping the saints and seeking the lost and and this guy has a way for helping people who are living in spiritual darkness to discover the light of Christ. I don't know how environmentally conscious he is, but certainly is spiritually conscious. Um, leading the Way reaches out to help listeners grow in faith through ongoing discipleship, personal evangelism. And he teaches us that now is the time to be all in for Christ. I mean, it just the way a lot of people are all in on the environment. And to be fully committed in uh, leveraging all that he has to see that those who are lost come to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I encourage our National Crawford Roundtable listeners to check out Dr. Michael Youssef and Leading the Way on all the Crawford stations that uh, he is featured on. And be sure to let us know which station you're hearing leading the way with Dr. Michael Youssef on when you contact them. You can go to LTW.org and you've got a lot of different options there. You can you can give a gift in support of the ministry. You can hit the forward slash listen tab and you can listen to one of the messages. But I encourage you to check out Dr. Michael Youssef and leading the way. And when you do make sure that you mentioned that you heard this today here uh, about that ministry on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. You know, this idea of uh, the emotional attachment that so many people have to this. I, I, recently, I was uh, uh, privileged to have a conversation with a couple of guys from an organization called the Evangelical Environmental Network. And I thought, well, this would be a good topic of conversation. I was a little disappointed to find out that you saw the words justice and action tied a lot to what they were doing, which that's usually a kind of a a red flag for me. It's a kind of a dog whistle to we're really more interested in lobbying and politics and money and things like that. But afterwards, my son-in-law, who just recently graduated from college with a degree in environmental studies, sent me a text and he said, hey, Dad, thank you for at least talking about this. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, it, it, it's, it's that basic, isn't it? I mean, that there are a lot of people who just don't, to your point, Bob and Neil, about people talking past each other, the fact that we're even devoting an hour here in our podcast time to having this conversation, I think, says a lot to people who are wondering, okay, well, how do I get started in the dialogue? Because as a Christian who believes that God created the earth, that believes that we should be good stewards of God's creation, I, I want to be a good steward, but it seems like if I'm not... Driving a Prius and you know uh, using a recyclable water bottle everywhere I go and things like that—that that I'm not doing it right. Right, and uh, I think that the fact that we can just sit down, and say, "Wait a minute, guys." Do you realize that part of the reason why people are so freaked out about the China tariffs is we send a third of our trash there and they process it? I mean, we're not as green as we really think we are. You know, <laughs> I mean, we, really, we would love to sure. think that we are, but we're really not. So I, th- therein lies the rub. I, I think those are those, the kinds of things that I'm looking for saying, if that's where someone's coming from, that says to me you're more interested in getting lobbying money and lobbying legislation than you are actually helping the okay, environment. Okay,
1: so, w- so then what are – our responsibilities. John, let me throw it to you, okay? Uh, do, we, do we support dumping toxins in the water? No, of course not, all right? Do we no, say that there no. should be zero environmental regulations? No, n- none of us are saying that, but, but what, what does it mean in practical day-to-day life to practice, quote-unquote, creation care, and what does the Bible really tell us about this?
2: Uh, and that's a great question, Bob. And I guess I, I've got a, a an actual living example from from my business. So you guys probably don't know this, but for you know thirty plus years, I grew up in the automotive industry. I owned repair shops up until twenty twelve. Uh, still have a big fleet shop that I used to maintain my own my own uh, vehicles with, and so on. But way back when, when uh, you know recycling and some of that stuff kind of first started coming on board, and, and most people realize that the automotive world in general, especially the repair side. Is probably not the cleanest and the most friendly, environmentally speaking, of businesses that are out there. So, you know, I was in Boulder at that time, and I actually partnered with the city of Boulder at that particular time. They had an arm that was looking to figure out ways to help businesses be, you know, cleaner. Now, I realize that a lot of that has led into the mood that we have today. But the reality is, as a Christian business owner, you know what? There's we can do to make our business better and leave less of a footprint when it's all said and done. So, I helped boulder back in that day even come up with a plan for businesses to do you know better jobs of recycling how we handled our waste oil how we handled coolant that came out of a vehicle and no longer putting it down the brain itself and all sorts of things that we did internally as a business to be quote unquote you know more environmentally friendly we actually even won on award then that you know we prominently displayed and it was not because i'm some sort of a tree hugger which you guys know i'm not but i just felt like those were things we could be doing to do our part, to, again, my dad taught me. What can we do to leave this earth in a better way than we found it? So I think there's lots of things Christians and as business owners to do that. I'm not driven by the environmental movement and the money that's there and all the different things that they're doing. I wanted to do out of my own heart to make sure that I was being a doer of what God gave me, and I think that's ultimately what we as Christians really need to look at from our money To our time, to the resources that God gives us, to the things we own, the properties, whatever it happens to be, we need to take care of those the best we possibly can because ultimately they belong to God. They don't belong to me. Okay, so Neil then, how do we do this? How do we
1: put this into practice in a day to day because people listening right now that's go, okay, fine, I don't want to dump I don't want to dump chemicals into the river. That's fair. All right. Uh, I want to go ahead and recycle. I'll put this in the recycling bin. I don't want to be a jerk and say, no, forget it. I'm just going to throw it on the ground. Okay, that's fine. But beyond that, what would you consider our responsibility? Because I got to tell you, if somebody's going to cut down some trees to put up a parking lot for a new shopping center... Truth is, I'm just not going to shed a tear over that. I'm not. It's like, good, there's another place to go shopping. If somebody's going to do some drilling in Anwar, the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, I'm thinking, good, let's do that. We're sitting on this oil. Better to go ahead and drill our own than to have to buy it from other governments. So I, how do we figure out what constitutes creation care versus what constitutes going overboard, if you will?
0: First of all, let me say, <clears throat> excuse me, that I would uh, vehemently oppose taking down trees to build a shopping center because the last place you will ever find me is at a shopping center, right? <laughs> so let me just say that. But, <laughs> well,
1: okay. Um, yeah, but they sell uh, a lot of books there in the shopping center, so the trees really okay. didn't leave
0: the location. <laughs> <There you go.
1: laughs> just <Okay>.
0: saying. <laughs> he redeemed himself. Well said. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. it, it goes back to, I think, demonstrating. I think it was uh, John or Roger, uh, Roger, I think, mentioned earlier, you know, getting involved in, in what happened in Houston. Uh, we're big supporters at uh, WDCX here of uh, one of our partners, Eight Days of Hope. They rebuilt thousands of homes in Houston, sent thousands of people to Houston, Texas to help rebuild. But, you know, let me give a quick example. Like if you talk about the abortion issue, for instance, All right. uh, pro-abortion people or people that support so-called freedom of choice will say, look, the reason a young woman needs to have an abortion is because she'll never be able to support that baby, you know, if she has the child. Well, maybe there's hope on the issue of well wait a second we agree on the fact that it's going to be difficult for her to raise that child but we can help and we can come alongside we we we, we there's a network of, of pregnancy uh, crisis crisis pregnancy ministries and care centers mm-hmm. that can assist and uh, our churches are involved in this kind of thing let us assist in this process so now we find common ground talking about the problem and maybe how to recommend a, a solution it doesn't mean that someone won't opt for abortion but it, it provides a place to have a conversation because formerly we were on opposite sides of that so so when it when it comes to the issue of the environment are there places where we as believers can say look at we don't we don't support all the global warming data but that's not going to be our lead In the conversation. Let's go back to, you know, Franklin Graham and say what he's doing to reach out to to people through Samaritan's Purse in places like East Africa, where there's famine and starvation. We care about that stuff, so we want to be involved in it, and let people see the heart of God in us. I'm not saying to be showy, but, you know, that they would see our good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. I just think it's a place to be a bit redemptive about an issue like this. Otherwise, we're just always dealing with polarization, and okay, great, we're right, you're wrong, or you're wrong, we're right, and where does that move us forward in terms of God's kingdom? So I just think that as far as demonstrating, we, should, we're, we were created by God himself, and we have a personal relationship with him. We should be the ones who are initiating creative ways to build bridges with people who really want nothing to do with God, and we can show them that the God of the universe can be known and he can transform lives and help transform our planet as a result of the love that we have for him and the relationship we have. So I okay. don't know. I, John, yeah, nothing specific, but I think overall that's where I'd come
1: from. So, John, what would you then,
0: what would you do? What would you
1: suggest that Christians need to do versus not do? Because, I look, I'm going to be honest. Like I said before, if I dump a bunch of toxins down in the river, yeah, I'm going to feel guilty, and I think I should. Okay, But if I'm going to support a, if I'm going to support some trees being taken down so that uh, Neil's anti-shopping center can go up, uh, you know what? (laughs) I'm going to say, sure, absolutely, let's do that. I'm not going to worry about whether I happen to be driving a, you know, an SUV or if the refrigerator that I buy isn't 97% energy efficient. I mean, I don't feel like I have to live according to the uh, new Green Deal policies or somehow I'm violating my call to care for the earth that God gave us and to love my neighbor. So where do we draw that line?
2: Well said, and by the way, I fully agree with that. Before we get into that, let me talk about Dr. James Dobson. And again, he's a very successful individual. We hear him all the time on our stations, and it's drjamesdobson.org, and he is a gentleman that I've listened to for a number of years, and and very well-known, of course, and and in this particular realm, I think he would agree with all of the things that we're talking about today when it comes to these things, And, and the thing about Dr. Dobson his program is he applies a lot of things, I shouldn't say a lot of things, everything, biblically speaking, to what we should do as a family, marriage, how we parent, all those different things. I learned more about parenting from Dr. Dobson back in the day than probably anyone else. And, and I think I really owe a lot of the way my kids are raised today uh, to Dr. Dobson. So drjamesdobson.org, listen to him on our stations. Make sure you mention the uh, National Crawford Roundtable when they ask you how you heard family talk. But again, it's drjamesdobson.org. So Bob, back to what do we do you know, individually? And I, I'm with you, by the way, when it comes to development, let's say, and, and if something needs to you know, be you know put in we we've got an actual reservoir that's being talked about put in 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 Colorado uh, kind of in the in the southern part of our state and and again that's a big deal you know the environmental movement you know wants to step in they don't want to see reservoirs built although that's the thing that Roger as we build more reservoirs it helps people like Roger because we can store more water we can use that water here along the front range that allows more water to flow to California and meet the needs Amen. of other individuals and that's the way things actually should work so when it comes to those sorts of things Bob I'm with you I don't think we as Christians need to go out and and picket and oppose things. I believe that we should look at everything as good stewards. You know, if if putting up a shopping center, employs people, people up out of poverty, and it actually gives another another set of services to, to a particular group of individuals where they, where they can go and buy things and do things and so on, and it serves the needs of a particular community, then I'm one that says, by all means, you know, if it needs to we, we need to move the prairie dogs across town, or we need to actually even eliminate a, a colony for development, then yeah, like you know, I'm one that says, yes, we, we need to do that. We need to move forward. We as human beings should take precedence over everything else. And I don't mean that in a mean way, but but I don't believe that we should Uh, we should not build something because there's a spotted owl living in a tree nearby. The owl will move. They'll find another place to nest. We need to allow development to occur to keep us as human beings moving forward because ultimately we are the dominant species. We are here to maintain and take care of the earth. Now, I say that to say this. Everything you guys have said is correct. We need to make sure we keep open dialogue. If I've heard anything from the younger generations below me is we have to have open dialogue or we lose the battle immediately when we start talking to people about this particular topic. And it is a serious topic. There's a lot of money that's being poured into it. And there's a lot of emotion, as you guys have talked about, that gets poured into it. So we have to be open to it. But as far as how we live, I do believe, Bob, that we need to be an example of how we personally live. Now, does that mean I'm going to drive a Prius versus my, my Dodge Ram mega cab diesel truck? Of course not. I'm going to drive my Dodge Ram diesel mega cab truck on a daily basis. Sinner, <laughs> sinner. I know, I know. I'm so bad. <laughs> but, but, you know, I am not my driving habits, you know, be, because of, of all that. And, and by the way, I run an automotive talk show on Saturdays as well. It's kind of how I got into all of this with Crawford. And, and I have put this test out for people for the past 15 years, guys. I have done the math myself. And the reality is if people think they're buying a new Prius and they're saving the earth, first of all, the earth doesn't need save. But second of all, if they think they're buying a hybrid or a, a Tesla or a, or a Prius and they're going to save the earth, the reality is the amount of oil, energy, and resources it took to build that new car, they could have driven their old car for the next 50 years and not used the resources it took to build that new car that they think they're saving the earth with. So mm. what I'm saying, Bob, is yes, we need to lead by example, but but not some false example. We need to lead by real solid example as to what we need to do to care for the earth.
1: Right. Well, and Roger, what about, let's talk about alternative methods of energy, the fossil fuel industry. There are those that say we got to get away from the fossil fuels and we need to get away from oil drilling and fracking and all of that. And by the way, I'm all for, if you can come up with energy sources like wind and solar and such, and this can be done in the free market system and make it profitable and make it work in that way, hey, you know, I'm all for that. But in the meantime, I'm not going to feel bad about drilling in Anwar. I mean, you look at the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, the way this is presented by the environmentalists, you would think that this is some kind of pristine Yellowstone Park that's being decimated with oil rigs. That's not the case. The overwhelming majority of the area is nothing but a bunch of frozen tundra. And if any caribou don't like it, they can just shift a couple of miles over. I mean, I actually looked at the 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 area of this, the entire Anwar area is about the size of the state of South Carolina. And the actual drilling part of it is about two-thirds the size of Metro Detroit Airport. Uh, so okay. it, it, it's hmm. frozen tundra, the area that's actually being proposed for drilling. So it, it just seems to me if the free market can come up with a, a better way, solar, wind, whatever, and they make it profitable and they make it something that the, the public is willing to have a demand for, then great, do it. I'm all for competition. But in the meantime, it seems to me we're sitting on a whole lot of natural resources in this country and we ought to be tapping into it and being a major exporter around the world, having people to come to us for energy instead of leaving that stuff buried in the ground and not being willing to use it because we might accidentally get a fish oily.
3: Yeah, and that's a. Ironically, I don't think the fish would really mind if they got too oily. But and yeah. to John's point, we're putting up walls around California now too, so that diesel truck's never going to make it across the border here. It's just not. It's not going to happen. <laughs> right. But we have an issue in the Inland Empire, out especially out. Especially out in the desert areas, they've got the big wind turbines out there doing it right now. And of course, the biggest issue is how much electricity do they re- generate. Can it replace what we're doing with coal, and what does it do to the environment? And the answer is, it doesn't generate as much as you would generate from coal. So it's more expensive to get this. Number one, number, remember, Solyndra? and all. And number two, oh, yeah. the birds that keep flying into these blades are getting destroyed. So I'm thinking, okay, well, where are all the, you know, the the animal rights activists right. saying, hey, wait, this is green energy. There's always a cost. I guess that's the point. Not to make light. There's always a cost so explore natural uh, alternatives i'm all for it uh whenever we see a reservoir you got hoover dam here you know in the nevada area generating enough electricity for the entire state of nevada practically i mean there's nothing wrong with doing that but to your point bob too you're right environmental activism in california anyway has seen the destruction of a couple of reservoirs with and and dams without anything new being built so it, 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 on the one hand there's a lot of emotion that says well we can't harm the environment and putting a spike into the ground and drilling down for oil is harming the environment. On the other hand, it's like, well, do you want to get rid of your car then? Do you want to get rid of your air conditioning? Do you want, do you like living in a home that has insulation? I mean, these are the trade-offs we have to do. To John's point though, keeping the dialogue open, keeping the conversation open, keeping the tone uh, somewhat approachable. If we take the attitude that the environmental activists are looking at us like we're the problem and we're just nothing but hate. If we bark back, then they just, we're a meteor and they can just step out of the way. I mean, they could, they could, really easily. So I know it's hard to bite your tongue and I'm grateful we have like National Crawford Roundtable to get together and where we can really air it out and say, gosh, doesn't that just frustrate the heck out of you about Mm -hmm. about those things? But I think it's important to make sure that the tone is right and that also we use Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 saying, let me show you a more excellent way if all we do is deflect the arguments that come our way and say, that's wrong, that's wrong, I could debunk that, but we don't show, okay, but here's an alternative, or here's some, have you considered this, even if we don't have the answers, I'm not a scientist. That I think that let me show you a better way or have you considered might be a way for us to actually address the issue of the politicization, the monetization of this whole argument that is
1: really fueling a lot of what these emotions are, are, are reflecting. Right, well, and, and Neil, do we have to feel guilty? Do we have to feel bad if we happen to support oil drilling and fracking and, and things like that? I don't fault somebody if they say, no, I'd rather not have those kind of things. But what about those of us who say, hey, you know, let's do all of the above. You know, I'm, I'm good for any kind of alternative uh, energy sources, but I'm also good for tapping into the resources that we currently have under our ground.
0: Yeah, I agree. And no, I don't think we need to feel bad about that kind of thing. I think we need to be reasonable in the whole process. But Galen Carey, who's the Vice President of uh, Government Relations for National Association of Evangelicals, said, many evangelicals oppose efforts to address global warming not based on issues related to faith but because of a distrust for government and the fear that government is ultimately trying to take away our freedoms. And I just think that whatever our posture is, whatever approach we take, it can't be based in fear because fear is not of God.
1: Yeah, that much is very true. Uh, Well, there we go, folks. Another National Crawford Roundtable podcast. We invite you to join us next week and every week for a new hot topic that we'll be dealing with. And John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver. Roger Marsh, the bottom line out of Southern California. Neil Boron, Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York. Myself, Bob Ducoe, WMUZ in Detroit. Uh, Gentlemen, it's always great catching up with you and uh, appreciate you being with us don't forget everybody you can tune into and listen to the podcast at apple Podcasts, stitcher wherever you get your podcast from you can also find these podcasts online at com. gentlemen great spending the morning with you thank you so much and god bless thanks bob you bet you. take care
0: you've been listening to the national crawford roundtable podcast a view of today's culture through a biblical lens thank you for joining us You can download this podcast from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And it is available at CrawfordBroadcasting.com. Be sure to watch for the next notification on your podcast app for when the next weekly edition is ready for you to hear. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting production.